0: Welcome to the Early Link Podcast. I'm Rafael Otto. Thank you for listening. You can always catch us on ninety nine point one FM in the Portland Metro on Sundays at four thirty PM or tune in at your convenience wherever you find your podcasts that includes iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon music. Today, I am speaking with Jenna Demmel, our fantastic producer at Portland Radio Project, and two of her lifelong friends, Kai Russell and Justin Semke. All three of them happen to be on the autism spectrum, and today we have a chance to hear their stories about what it was like growing up on the spectrum, how they've remained friends for so many years, and their experience in the education system right here in Portland. Jenna, Kai, and Justin, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs> Thank you for watching us.
0: Thank you so much. Very much looking forward to the conversation. Jenna, you are all in your 20s now, and you've known each other since elementary school. Tell me the story about how the three of you got to know each other.
1: So I was in second grade. I had just transferred to Edwards Elementary School. It was my first experience in public school. I was getting to know everybody. But I think I'd also just been diagnosed at that point. And I didn't really... How do I put this? I hadn't really seen other people like me who had also been diagnosed as on the spectrum. But in class, I remember this particular person who was labeled as a problem child, which was Kai. (laughs) (laughs) And in retrospect, I feel like, really bad for how myself and the other kids in the class treated them at that point. Our teacher in particular did not like Kai's disruptions. Kai, you remember, like, you would do these, like, laser battles with your fingers, was that right?
2: Oh, no, no, uh, it was, I mean, sure, lasers were involved, but it was more of an early form of live-action play, I guess, just using my finger's As puppets or like action figures, kind of. Like, I would walk my pointer and middle finger along a table uh, and have that stand in for like a human. I would use the other pointer to give that same uh, finger person like a sword or something. I would use my arm with all my fingers kind of coming together like jaws as a dinosaur and then maybe put my other arm across it to form wings and make it a dragon
1: but what literally everybody else in the class heard was like and then our teacher teacher nancy would like grab kai by the collar and be like kai you're going out in the hall or kai you're going to the office and all of the kids in unison would be like kai be quiet so that was how initially like my relationship with Kai was. but
0: I can literally hear a classroom of kids doing yeah. that when you say that story.
1: So one day, my mom suggested that I invite Kai over because I was getting to know everybody in my class and all that. And she was like, oh, yeah, Kai might be a good person. You haven't invited them over before. And I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we had a really good time. Kai, I don't know if you remember this, but... You also had so much fun that you like ran all over the house, ran all over the backyard and your dad was trying to catch you and you were like, no.
2: Sounds legit. <laughs> yeah. I did a lot of hiding from my parents when I didn't want these tasks.
1: <laughs> yeah. And from there, friendship was born and Edwards closed down the year. I think it was like our fifth grade year. And so we ended up at Abernathy for fifth grade And we started becoming really good friends with Justin there.
2: Yep. My
0: fault. (laughs) (laughs) So, Justin, what are your memories of how you all connected?
3: Well, it was fifth grade. I had actually um, two of my best friends had just moved away. I basically, I was kind of lonely. I didn't have a lot of friends in fifth grade. I met Jenna through another friend and we connected pretty well. And I met Kai through a fun story, we uh, I was just wandering the playground and there's this giant dirt pile that our elementary school had and it was kind of a cool place to play and I saw Kai and another one of our friends, Elijah, playing on the dirt mound and I thought it looked really fun so I was like, can I hang out with you guys? And it kind of just went from there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Each of you were diagnosed with autism at different times, different ages when you, you were all very young. Could you tell me about that diagnosis and what do you remember and maybe what changed for you after the diagnosis? Justin, let's just stick with you for a moment.
3: Well, to be honest, my diagnosis came a little later. I was diagnosed when I was younger, but I didn't fully comprehend what the diagnosis was. In middle school, I was fully diagnosed to be on the spectrum, and I got a little more knowledge about what that meant. It definitely changed my mindset on a lot of things. It made a lot more things make sense.
0: Okay. Kai, how about you?
2: So, I have an older sister, Megan, four years older. One time, my parents took her in uh, to a pediatrician, but they brought me along this particular time I was a baby. And the doctor said, when your baby gets older, be sure to bring uh, them in also because your child seems to have something going on. Okay. So I think that my parents knew from a young age that I had uh, Asperger-like symptoms. The first time I remember ever hearing that word was actually from Jenna when we met in, was it first grade or second grade?
1: It was second.
2: Okay. And Jenna came up to me in class and asked if I had Asperger's. I thought it was a food, Uh, you know, like Asperger's. (laughs) Um, Not even joking, like I actually thought, yes. (laughs) And and I think that might have been around when my parents actually got me taken in to be diagnosed. And at the time, it was just Asperger like symptoms. Although I think that in high school, I needed a, a psych eval. In order for me to have an IEP mm-hmm. to get me accommodations. Right. So I had to get taken back for an official psych evaluation. And it might have still been uh, just Asperger like symptoms on the general autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. In college, I needed another psych eval for, well, to get accommodations, even though I already had one from high school. I think that this is when uh, I was finally diagnosed. Well, given a straight answer like, yes, you are autistic. When I was looking for work, I was working with a special program to help me find work. And uh, they needed proof that I had a mental disability. And so once again, I had to get tested.
0: Jenna, could you talk about what that was like for you? I know that there's been sort of a move away from Asperger's or a recognition that Asperger's is really just part of the autism spectrum. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that a bit.
1: Yeah. So there is admittedly kind of a push to call it like have Asperger's be part of the autism spectrum itself, which yeah, it is. And there are two reasons for that. One of them is a lot of child psychologists are saying that It's something to do with not being as concrete of a diagnosis, which I guess makes sense. But a big reason in my book is the person who it's named after, Hans Asperger, he worked for the Nazis. So that's kind of one of my big reasons that I push away from saying that and just say like, oh, I'm on the spectrum. Or, oh, I'm autistic. But since I think I mask it pretty well, I generally say I'm on the spectrum. Actually, for school, I did an explainer video on that. So if folks are interested, I might drop that in our blog post about this episode.
0: That would be great to do that. Can you talk a little bit more, Jenna, about your early school experience (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> so I don't know if this counts as early schooling per se, but I can tell you about like what spurred my diagnosis. I was probably about three or four years old and we like my mom would take me to the park and it was very clear that I didn't know how to neurotypically play with children. I would run up to kids and like quote Winnie the Pooh at them. I would just be like, And Pooh says oh bother and all that stuff and the kids would be like, Uh okay, bye.
2: Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would have just quoted something back at you.
1: And and I would have loved that, and I still do. That's something we do to this day, just quote back and forth at each other. But yeah, I
3: can confirm.
1: so my mom was like, Jenna, that's not how kids want to play with you. That's not how you do that. And I'm like, but I want to do it my way. And she was like, okay. (laughs) And so at that point, I did get some kind of a diagnosis or my parents put me in play therapy, physical therapy, even because they saw my coordination was a little off. But it wasn't until I was seven that I did get the official diagnosis. And I did have a little bit of trouble in early schooling. It was first grade. I was at a private Montessori school. So you know how Montessori schools, they have like the lead teacher and they have an assistant teacher in the classroom. And I swear to God, that assistant teacher was out to get me. Mm. (laughs) She would always scold me for doing things. I like painted a picture in class and she wouldn't hang it up on the wall because she said it was wrong. And I'm like, in retrospect, lady, wh- wh- how is art wrong? What's going on with this?
3: <laughs> yeah, that 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 doesn't seem very possible, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and
2: teacher.
1: Yeah, but I was just this kid who like dutifully wanted to follow the rules. So I was like, if it's wrong, it's wrong. Then it's fine. I'm a little humiliated, but it's fine. Oh. And funny enough, it wasn't until I got to Edwards and met Kai and a bunch of other people. And Justin, afterwards at Abernathy, that I felt some sense of belonging. Hmm. Like, these were my people. Yay! Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And even then, the teachers, they were actually pretty good to me. I also had an IEP, an individual education plan, speech and language therapy. My parents, I really can't thank them enough for supporting me all this time to... Right. So as I was growing up, it was just developing that network of people I could rely on and trust and also to some extent be led by because I'm just a kid learning about the world.
0: Justin, talk a little bit more about your school experience.
3: My school experience, it was an interesting one. Younger wise, I will say Abernathy was a good place for kind of leading me in the right direction. But I had a very similar experience with just. I had maybe one or two friends. I couldn't really connect to anyone as much. I had other ways of play than most others. I would run around the playground. I would bounce like a red bouncy ball around. And everyone seemed to want to play something, and I just never seemed that interested. But as for classes and such like that, I had such focus issues. I would just draw while someone else is doing something. I felt like I was doing something wrong most of the time. But I didn't know what it was because really until middle school, I didn't really even have a full idea that I was anything but normal. Okay. And, you know, until I met Kai and Jenna, I didn't really meet anyone who I guess played the same way I did because... I only met people who wanted to play their way and I just I had no idea how to do that and enjoy myself.
0: Was it in middle school when I'm assuming you got an IEP at some point as well. Was that in middle school or
3: yes, I got an IEP. I think I had one in elementary school without knowing. Okay. Whereas middle school is when I really understood what an IEP was. I had notes taken, I had an individual class. Middle school was when I fully experienced it. I'll say I was a little separated from my crowd, so even during middle school, I had a very hard time connecting with people. I was excited for the weekends when I could meet up with everybody.
0: Right, right. Kai, how about you? Do you have something that stands out for you?
2: Um, um Let's see. As far as friends go, I've never really found friends or settled into friend groups of like my own action so much as I guess I've either drawn people to me or been put into groups. Okay. I do remember that there have been times when uh, I just kind of did my own thing. Uh, Like in elementary school, there were many recesses where I would just find some corner of the playground and play my hand games. I've had strong friend groups throughout my school experience. In middle school and high school, it was uh, entirely because of speech group or social thinking group, however it was called, Okay. where I was essentially put in a room at lunchtime with other autistic people. Although in elementary school, I think more of other people approached me and I was just like, oh, cool, hi. I've been told that I got bullied a lot throughout my uh, elementary, middle, and high school experience, but I didn't notice it most of the time.
0: Can you say more about
2: that? Let's see. In middle school, I do remember uh, bullying to a degree, although I think that might have had to do more with my gender expression because at one point in middle school, I had longer hair, and I think that I also wore pink, which I got in trouble for from other peers.
0: Sure. Um,
2: Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't really remember much of my experience with being bullied because it was more of that I was told that I was being bullied but didn't notice, I
1: guess. Okay. Yeah, Raphael, I think it might be like when I mentioned what happened with my teacher. It's like, yeah, it's an authority figure. It's fine. And you don't realize who a bully is or what bullying is for a while Yeah. when you're on the spectrum. It's sort of a blissful obliviousness. And then you talk about it later and it's like, wow, that actually wasn't okay. Right. Like
2: it was normal to be sent back to my desk or to the office. It happened regularly and I figured, oh, well, it's because I'm disruptive. It never occurred to me that I needed help or that they were mishandling the situation. I'm
0: just wondering overall like there are these moments of tension that you describe and then moments where like things worked really well jenna you talked about the fact that you were able to develop a community and you did have supports eventually but overall do you feel like you were supported as students in your learning just thinking about the education system as a whole what could the education system do better Very big question.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Taking a moment to think about it. So I'm not sure if I'm necessarily the best person to answer this question, because I think in comparison, I think I'm able to mask my diagnosis fairly well and kind of blend in and act as neurotypical when there are some instances like people who get to know me really well realize like, oh, there's something slightly different about her. But in terms of my schooling, I think I think I was definitely able to keep up the act, dare I say it, and turn out pretty okay. I think honestly, it was just like my early learning experiences where I had the most issues. And that was 20 years mm. ago, to be fair. And I think a lot has changed. If anything... That teacher in particular didn't understand what Montessori school was meant to be founded on and the types of students who were there to be taught, which are neurodivergent individuals. But frankly, I think this teacher was just ill-equipped to handle that sort of thing. So I think it's just a matter of educating yourself further. If anything, like Kai, Justin, and I, we are the autism spectrum. We have varying degrees of which these traits come out. So it's just realizing that it is that spectrum and not just a, you are a problem child, please go away scenario.
0: Yeah. Justin, I know it's a big question right. and, and you, you said that, but what are your thoughts?
3: Well, my thoughts are, I will admit after hearing Jenna say it, I do agree that a lot has changed over these past years, but the one thing I think that is very important is just educating people who are on the autism spectrum what's kind of going on as early as possible. Because you need to kind of know what's going on, giving them at least a bit of an answer of like, oh, okay, I am a little different. And that's why this happens. And by educating them, they're able to kind of utilize that because... This is a part of them, so they want to make sure they can live their life. So I think it's important, especially in early childhood, to kind of properly
0: explain what's going on. Kai, do you have thoughts on that big question? What could the education system be doing better?
2: One thing is making it so that you don't have to jump through as many hoops to get the help you need mm-hmm. Every time I went into a new institution, I had to reprove that I am autistic in order to get the help that I need. Right. And then you had to kind of like argue uh, even then to get the accommodations that you need. It's seen as an unfair advantage to have time and a half on tests when, I mean, are glasses an unfair advantage? (laughs) It's the difference between equality and equity. Equality being everyone has the same things Equity being uh, having more or less depending on what you need in order to do as well as the others. That's right. Because I do remember that my parents had to do a lot of advocating for me, especially in elementary, uh, middle, and high school, I think. My struggles were uh, on focus and uh, time, time being the biggest one. Like it would... um. Throughout college, pretty much every assignment was turned in light. Right. But I mean, they all got like A's and B's because I was very thorough and insightful. I guess the main thing uh, really is just making it so that you don't have to fight to get what you need in order to be successful and not stigmatizing uh, fighting for it. You aren't privileged for having uh, these accommodations that other people don't have because they don't need it and you do in order to do as well as them.
0: I appreciate that Kai, thank you. Certainly. I wanted to ask about the language used to describe people on the autism spectrum. I know of, I introduced you all that way as being on the autism spectrum and I know that within the autism community there's a big difference between describing someone as an autistic person as compared to a person with autism. And I want to ask you how you feel about that. And do you have advice for people? Justin, do you want to start?
3: Sure. That's also a hard question. It's something a part of you. So I don't know much about the language personally. I've always just referred to myself as on the autism spectrum because It is the safer language option for me personally, Mm -hmm. though I know that it's like some people do have personal preferences on whether they would rather be referred to as autistic or someone with autism. I think it's whatever makes them feel comfortable or what they want to be referred to as. Because we have it and we should be referred to as we feel comfortable with because everyone is different.
0: Yeah. Jenna, do you have thoughts on that?
1: So I actually, this is kind of the first time I've heard of that being a debate, but it is interesting to look at it because it seems like a lot of people who are parents or individuals who don't have it, who are not on the spectrum, they say like, oh yeah, a person with autism is the more appropriate way because They want their kids to be seen as neurotypical and like there's nothing wrong with them, something like that. I am, for example, I am a white person. I am a female person. It is part of my identity. I am an autistic person. (laughs) So that's probably kind of preferably how I would address it. I think it's ultimately like whether the semantics empower the individual. And I think that's kind of what Justin was getting at too, like how they want to be referred to as what empowers them most. And the way I'd refer to myself is I'm an autistic person. That's just the way it is. I don't know if Raphael or any of you have seen, there was a Temple Grandin biopic and it had Claire Danes. And like one of the things that she says, she like goes, I'm autistic. And I'm like, yeah, I'm autistic. It's what I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Is this
2: one that has a... Uh, like uh, visual representations of whenever she yeah, hears something. Yeah, when she thinks literal. in pictures, that's the one. Like, oh yeah, we like to get up with the roosters, and then it imagines like her grandparents are sitting yeah. on the roof crowing.
1: <laughs> There's one where it's like um, somebody's talking about animal husbandry, and she pictures like somebody marrying a cow. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, like that's another thing I think all three of us probably do is think in those pictures, and until we're like, oh yeah, metaphors. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Kai, do you have thoughts on the language?
1: Ah, yes. Okay,
2: so I haven't heard about this debate in particular, although my guess is that it would be similar to uh, the move from uh, talking about homeless people to people experiencing homelessness. Right. um, Which is putting the person first so that they think of you as a person before they think of you as autistic. I guess with the stigma of autism being, like, I think that I've seen online people calling other people autistic as an insult. And also I remember in high school when I told one of my classmates that I was autistic, and you know, this is someone that joked around and bantered with me a lot. He suddenly became a very like soft and apologetic and kind of treating me a a little like a child, I guess. Right. Like, dude, we've been bantering for how long? (laughs) (laughs) Although I personally, I refer to myself as an autistic person because autism is part of my identity. Right. It has defined my personality. It has defined who my friend groups are. It has... uh, Put me through struggles throughout school. It has also gifted me with being able to hyper focus on my interests and become a walking encyclopedia and make connections that are very helpful as a fiction writer. So it's both a strength and a weakness for me. Sometimes it really feels like a disability, like. I won't be able to achieve my dreams because while this gives me a superpower in some areas, it keeps me from using my superpower in others. And so I very strongly identify as Autistic. And so I personally call myself an Autistic person, though um, I also understand why some people would prefer being seen as a person with Autism because they want. To be seen uh, as a person rather than by their disability.
0: Kai, on this question of identity, how do you think about the connection between being on the autism spectrum and being neurodivergent and being gender nonconforming?
2: I've never really been one to pick up on, or maybe I'm not sure if it's that I didn't pick up on or that I just didn't care about and didn't internalize. Gender norms. I've always been a a soft, kind, gentle person who liked like flowers and pink and dolls. My sister is more of the roughhouser. Well, I like being clean. Yeah, there's a picture of me back in elementary school wearing a flower wreath on my head, and I like to have long hair. My mom, in particular, said that she knew. since I was a baby, that I wasn't necessarily going to learn gender the way that other people do. And for the most part, I think that I've never really cared too much if something was seen as a boy thing or a girl thing, just, well, is this something that I like? I've heard that neurodivergent people or people on the autism spectrum in particular, make up a large percentage of the lgbt community and part of that is just because we don't internalize gender norms we don't feel as compelled to conform to what society wants us to be
0: Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. thank you kai i know i wanted to ask you all this question because i know you're all involved in the creative world in different ways. And so this is yet another thing, it sounds like that has connected the three of you. So tell me a little bit about your creative pursuits and when you feel most capable of expressing yourself. Jenna, would you like to start?
1: Sure, so currently I am a graduate student in multimedia journalism, so that's funny enough, like podcasting, broadcast journalism, documentary filmmaking. So I'm really heavily into like the audio visual kind of artistic aspect of things. But as a way to kind of channel my diagnosis, when I was younger, my parents put me in theater classes. And I continued to be in like theater and choir. I've always loved drawing. I'm just kind of all over the place. It's like a jack of all trades, master of none scenario. <laughs> but now that I'm in my 20s, I've had to specialize. And I can't really get away from... Like audio, music. I love the heck out of music. If there's a day when I don't have a song in my mm-hmm. head or music playing, something's seriously wrong with me. So, um, yeah, I love... <laughs> I'm the same yeah, way, Jenna. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, yeah. I, love, um, I love singing, the performance arts, that sort of stuff. I just kind of had to learn to let go of some inhibitions. Like, oh my God, they'll think I'm weird. Oh my God, they'll think I'm... I don't know, just whatever, like the way people behave. But I think the people who helped me bring all that to the forefront and be able to really express myself was my parents were always just behind me, cheering me on, being my biggest fans. And like honestly, like these two goons who we're talking to right now <laughs> <laughs> I I love them to pieces. I feel like I can really be myself mm. around them and they empower me because I'm inspired by them and seeing them grow and seeing what they do. I've
2: always admired the weirdness in you.
1: Oh, you too. too. Yeah.
3: (laughs) You guys are the best.
1: Yeah. Oh, heart emoji.
3: (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Justin, how about you?
3: Well, actually, um, I'm playing off of what we just said. I'll actually answer this question a little differently. Um, So when I feel most capable of expressing myself is actually when I'm around friends and people super close to me. Like with Jenna and Kai, I feel very empowered and I can just go nuts and create. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel inspired. I can just create stories, create characters. I'm mostly a story creator in my head, but I'm also a 3D modeler. So I 3D model different art kind of pieces for things, and I feel like these two and my family are very big inspirations for me. Yeah. So I feel most capable and powered when around or even just talking to people I care
0: about. That's great. Kai, how about you? Well,
2: let's see. My ideas flow most when I am like, out on a walk or in nature or doing something repetitive, such as washing dishes or showering, Mm -hmm. or when I'm talking with friends. I think that as far as empowered to express myself, time is one of my biggest enemies. I have difficulty finding it and stuff. Like I need to have a chunk of time in order to sit down and create. Right,
0: right.
2: I think that... I'm most creative when I have to be doing something else that I don't want to be doing. (laughs) I end up hitting a wall when I'm supposed to work on the creative stuff. I use music to help me get through things. Like, I'm a very musical person myself, although mostly I just sing nowadays. But also, I have a very visual imagination, and so I listen to a piece of music and can see a story playing out. Right. And also, I guess, maybe uh, reading about writing also kind of inspires me.
0: That's powerful. I feel like I want to ask you each one more question. And that is, what would you say to your younger selves? What advice would you have for your younger self now? And let's see. Jenna, would you want to start with that one?
1: Sure. Stand up for yourself maybe a little bit more, <laughs> this is one way to put it. If something feels slightly off, if you're feeling uncomfortable in some sort of situation, your feelings are probably justified. This is kind of in reference to the one teacher and all of that stuff. I'm not bitter at all about that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, in all seriousness... Trust in your feelings. Trust your gut. Your mom and dad love the hell out of you. Embrace the weird because being normal is overrated. You will find your people. Things may seem tough at the moment, but they're out there and they will love you.
0: I love that advice, Jenna. Thank you. I'm sitting here smiling. I know you can't see me, but Kai, how about you?
2: Well, one of my concerns has always been like, am I a burden or am I annoying someone? Because I can't tell if I'm annoying someone and oftentimes they won't tell me and I can talk for hours about something that interests me and I've had to really be trained over the years to uh, look for nonverbal cues. I think that because of this training it's why i overthink things nowadays and like analyze most interactions with people there's always this worry that i'll be bothering someone and that they won't tell me so i don't know if i have any advice i would give to my younger self i guess maybe uh probably something uh, self-affirming like There will always be people that you will bother without meaning to, but there are also always people that love you, and those are the people that matter, and those are the people that would tell you if you were a burden, and you are worthy of love and having good things in your life.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot. Thank you, Kai. Yeah. Justin, I'm going to go to you. Okay.
3: Well, after he asked me, uh, how's the future like, can you tell me anything? I would probably go with, you're you, and that's probably the best thing ever. There's a lot of good people out there. You're going to meet a lot of good people. And I think I would just end it with saying, things are going to be okay. It may not seem like it sometimes, but things are going to be
0: okay. Thank you very much for that i think i'm going to end it there and just wanted to say thank you so much to the three of you for coming on the podcast today and talking with me really appreciate your perspective and sharing your stories and opinions thank you so much
1: thank
0: you for having us
1: thank you for having us thanks rafael for having us
2: This show is brought to you by Children's Institute. We're at work transforming early learning and healthy development for young children and their families in Oregon. Tune in on 99.1 FM on Sundays at 4.30 p.m. or stream these segments wherever you find your podcasts. You can also find episodes on the Children's Institute website at childinst.org. Pay us a visit, sign up for our newsletter, or connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening!